Good morning. So thankful to be here today, to be back with you, to be able to preach again today. Um, I'm always thankful for uh, a break, um, opportunity to take a rest from preaching, but I'm more thankful for the opportunity that we had to listen to Blake, uh, bring the word, and when we get uh, to listen to Stephen also, I think they do uh, an incredible job. I think it's very beneficial to hear from other voices uh, in our leadership. And so we'll keep doing that uh, until the Lord returns. Um, I didn't, part of uh, Blake not being here today, or Blake not being here today partially makes us a little uh, unorganized because it's sort of like that thing where you don't realize how much somebody does until they're not quite there. Uh, while Stephen did a great job of, of um, you know, take, taking on the load that Blake normally takes, I actually failed to uh, do something for Stephen, and that was to tell him that I was going through verse 12 today. So uh, I'll finish reading the rest of the scripture. Yeah, I'll finish reading the rest of the scripture in a minute. Um, but we're in First Peter uh, chapter one, verses eight through 12. If you don't, if this is your first time here, uh, and I had introduced myself. I'm Bryce. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, and what we do often. Uh, mostly is we take a book of the Bible and we like to spend a year or so going through that. We go book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Sometimes we have uh, sermon series on different topics and different related things, but mostly uh, we just spend time looking at what the Bible says in the way that it was written, uh, in the context that it was written, and we feel like we get more out of it that way. Uh, also, not we feel like, I know that we get more out of it that way, plus um, it's been an amazing thing over the last 10 years of our church to see how God has used um, a Bible verse that was pre-planned to speak specifically to what I needed, what you needed, what we needed in that moment in our life. So just because we plan the way we're going to study through the scripture, the Lord plans to use it differently than we even do at times. So we'll be in 1 Peter 1, verses 8 through 12, and today we're going to talk about the Spirit's ministry to us. The Spirit's ministry to us. Will you pray with me today as before we open God's word? Ask him to teach us, to speak to us, and help us to apply these words to our life. Father God, you're so good, you're so gracious, and uh, you're holy. Lord, help us to be holy as you are holy. That is our calling, uh, to be like you in every way possible, and one of those ways is holy. Help us to formulate our lives in such a way that we're walking like you walk, that we're living like you lived uh, as much as humanly possible. Lord, I thank you for every person in this room today. Uh, for whatever reason they're here or whatever reason they thought they came here, Lord, we know that people are not here by mistake, that um, you don't do anything by mistakes, there's no coincidences, Lord, and uh, you have a word for them today, you have a word for all of us today. Thank you, Lord, for using your word, um, as I've studied this week, to change my heart, to influence me, to make me more into the image of your son. I pray that it does the same for all the hearers today. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We submit this time to you uh, because it is holy, because the people of God are meeting. Your temple is here. We love you. We praise you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I was, I was blessed tremendously as I am when I'm, the few times I'm able to do it, to be an active participant in the congregation last week as Blake rightly divided the word for us. Blake reminded us last week 
that we should have a propensity or a lean towards joy, that we should be inclined to joy. This is often most difficult, as Blake pointed out, as seen through trials and struggles. But the fact is no less true. Christians should be inclined to joy. Why are we inclined to joy? Um, well, if we go back to verses 3 through 5, the, ba- the background is set up for that. It's because we have an inheritance from God that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and is kept for us. Uh, if that doesn't get you joy, uh, you either don't know what it means. If that doesn't get you joyful, you either don't know what it means or you're dead inside. And so either way, learn or come alive. Uh, joy should be the mark of all believers. Now remember, um, or maybe hear this for the first time, joy is not the same thing as happiness. It should be delineated from happiness. Joy doesn't always mean being happy, but it means understanding that there is a greater plan, a greater purpose than my temporary afflictions or trials or disappointments will lead me to believe. Peter says that our faith is what brings us joy, and that is far greater than gold, even gold that has been purified, that has been tested by fire. Friends, our faith leads us to bank on the promise that we have joy because of the reward to come and not because our circumstances or our situations in this life. That proven faith produces some spe- something special that Peter points out. It produces praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So our our belief in God, our trust in Him produces a strong faith, which produces a strong joy, which helps believers follow and trust the Lord, which gives us praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, praise, glory, and honor is not something that I think society would describe Christians as worthy of. I think society in general would uh, describe Christians as worthy of derision or worthy of, um, uh, you know, being, being brought lowly or being brought down because of our beliefs. Our beliefs are often contrary to what society believes. But friends, we have joy now even though we don't have praise and honor and glory now. But in eternity, there is an interesting thing that was pointed out uh, last week, that praise, honor, and glory from God will be ours. It's interesting, and Blake didn't point this out, so I want to point it out. He didn't miss anything. It's just a separate part of it. But when we meet God... If our faith, when our faith has been made known, when the fullness of God comes, that is either his return or when we meet him, he will rain on us praise, honor, and glory. Now, these are typically things we think about giving to Jesus, and that is true. But when we meet God, he will rain on us praise, honor, and glory. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2.20, Peter says this a little bit later, but if when you do good and suffer, for if you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Or another version says, you find favor in the eyes of God, and that favor is praise, honor, and glory. Friends, we can rejoice because if we endure to the end, 
the result is a reward of praise, honor, and glory from God. And we know this is sure. Why do we know this is sure? Because God sees us as the Son of God. God sees us as Jesus. And Jesus is worthy of praise, honor, and glory. So when we spend eternity in heaven, we will see God. He will rain down praise, honor, and glory on us because we will be with Christ and like Christ. I know that it's hard uh, by the way, this is all sort of review from last week. I'm trying to do it quickly. I know that it's difficult often to face the trials of this life. I know that it's difficult to wake up. I mean, I know that you, when I say this to some of you, you're like, you're not old. You don't know what that means. Uh, but I know that it's difficult to wake up and get out of bed some days. Like, I'm, I'm having to roll out of bed more days than I'm having to, like, get out of bed at this point in my life. Um, you know, I told you very vulnerably the story of my pulled calf or torn calf. Very, I was very vulnerable. I, you know, I tore a calf and that's, you know, I've never torn a muscle in my life and I had to walk off of a softball field in front of, in front of a bunch of 20-year-olds and it was embarrassing. I feel it every day. But, but, even though my joy is not super complete yet, even though my circumstances dictate dissatisfaction sometimes in my life, and me being unhappy sometimes, my joy is not found in the fact that all of my muscles work or that my back doesn't feel like uh, it's in a vice when I wake up in the morning. My joy is found in the work of God and what he has done for me and that I have Christ and that Christ is God. My joy is not found in my circumstances. My joy is found in knowing God and knowing him forever. What I want to do is, I want to look at 8 and 9 and the rest of the passages today, and we're going to see the Spirit's work in our salvation. I'm going to go ahead and read um, 10 through 12 so I don't forget. Verse 10 says, Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which angels long to look. I want us to look today at the Spirit's ministry to us. I'm grateful for how Blake focused last week on joy in the face of trials. This concept reminded me, reminded us that joy and happiness are different. As a matter of fact, the lifestyles of some of the most joyous people would not make us happy. Do you understand what I'm saying by that? Some of the people with the most joy in their life, if we had to live their regular lifestyle, if we had to face the same things that they faced, we would not be happy. But yet, they have an immense amount of joy. It's because, it's because joy and happiness are different. While many times the results of being joyful and happy are similar, they are not the same. We spent much of our time in Ecclesiastes looking at Solomon's call to a lasting joy for the people of God. The Old and the New Testament alike share the same sentiment about joy in the life of those who live by faith. Proverbs 10, 28 says that the prospect of the righteous is joy. 
Nehemiah 8.10, like other Old Testament passages, says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Isaiah 12 says that the knowledge of the holy God should raise shouts of joy. Psalm 30 says, our sorrows may last for only a moment, but joy comes in the morning. Romans 14, which we spoke on uh, a year or so ago when we, went into, when we finished up Romans, um, says that the kingdom of God is built on righteousness, peace, and joy. In 1 Peter, we see that our joy is found in the fact that God loves the sinner, is willing to rescue the sinner, is able to rescue the sinner, has made a way to rescue the sinner, and has accomplished all of those things. While we may not always be happy, our joy should be sure. Now often the reason that we don't find ourselves joyful is that we have conflated joy and happiness to mean the same thing. Happiness is founded, uh, found in our job success. It's found in our marriage and relationships being perfect. It's founded in kids who are always obedient and never disobey. It's found in the perfect family life. It's found in physical comforts, having the air condition turn on when you want it to, having the heat turn on when you want it to, having the car start when you need it to. Having that promotion go your way, having that job come your way getting that big contract. It's found in our health going our way. Never having a hospital visit, never having to, uh, you know, test our blood sugar, never having to test our blood pressure, never having to take medicine, never having to see a therapist, all of these things. These are what our happiness is found in. Joy is not found in those things. Now, those things can turn to joy, especially when we see them as ways to honor and glorify God. But joy is found in this, who God is, what he has done, and what that means for us on, etern on an eternal scale. Joy is found in things that are certain and are accomplished by God and not by us. The only way we found this joy is by find this joy is by increasing in spiritual knowledge of the truth, by worshiping God, by accepting his truth, by connecting with the church, by reading the scriptures, by prayer. It's the only way we find these things is a deeper relationship with the Lord. As our relationship grows deeper with the Lord, our joy is found to be more True. So as Christians tap into all of the spiritual resources we've been given, they begin to live in more joy. If you're struggling to find joy, there's a lot of reasons for that. Maybe it's just spiritual immaturity. Maybe it's that you're not there yet. But it's no reason to stop growing. It's no reason to stop moving. Maybe it's because... You've missed the mark on finding joy. Maybe you've wrapped up a little bit too much of your circumstances into your joy. Maybe it's a season of life. Sometimes it's hard to find joy in certain seasons of life because you're just going through some very difficult things. But I will tell you, joy can be still found in the most difficult seasons of life. But, but also, and also, joy is a sure mark of those 
who trust in Christ. Because their joy, their personal feelings are not founded in things that we can get, things that we can do, things that can be done for us. But they're founded in what Christ has done, who he is, and what that means for us. I want us to look relatively quickly at the Spirit's work in the lives of believers. The Spirit's work in us. I believe that one of the greatest ministries of the Spirit of Christ is the joy of the Lord. Giving the joy of the Lord to believers. I think Peter gives us a message today that proves that. And I've got three major points and then some small little thoughts. The Spirit's ministry to us is to proclaim the joy of our faith. The Spirit's ministry to us is to, uh, is to proclaim the joy of our faith. Look at verse 8. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter says something here in verses 8 and 9 that I think sums up the entirety of a person's faith. That's a bold statement, but Peter says something here in 8 and 9 that sums up the entirety of a person's faith. If I were going to define to you Christian faith in a way that was easy to understand, that everyone who heard it could say, okay, I might not accept that, but I get it, it would be this. Though you did not see him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And then you operate day to day with an unexplainable, unimaginable, uh, inexpressible joy that is filled with glory. The first part of that equation is faith. Though you have not seen him, though you do not presently see him, you believe in him. Though you did not see him when he walked the earth, you love him. Him. The second part of that equation is love. Love and faith are the exalted components for Christians. These two key ingredients cannot be disconnected from each other nor from a relationship with Christ. They are also true in every healthy relationship. If you and your spouse break love and trust, then you break down the very foundation of your relationship and you must work diligently. Sometimes it's uh, unrecoverable, but you must work diligently to build those components back together in order for the health of the relationship to be found again. The two strongest factors for following God have always been faith that leads to love and following Him. Peter here is amazed at the faith of the believers in Asia Minor. Peter had seen Christ. Peter had walked with Christ. Peter had eaten with Christ. His own, Peter's own mother made Christ a meal. He walked on water to him for a moment. And he watched him die. And for a time, Peter did not hold the same deep love as the Christians at Asia Minor that had not seen him nor presently see him. He's met with these Christians who did not walk with him, did not walk on water, did not eat meals with him. And somehow they love him. And somehow they believe in him. They do not presently see him because he has ascended and he is in heaven. But their love and their faith for Christ is unimpeachable. 
Peter is letting his readers and subsequently us know that faith does not come by personal association with Jesus. Faith does not come by saying, I know who Jesus is. Faith does not come by saying, I've experienced emotional feelings in sermons or in meetings or in a history that was related to Jesus. Faith does not come by walking an aisle or praying a prayer. It does not come by seeing the physical Jesus, from witnessing a miracle, from touching his scarred hands. Listen, if I used to say this all the time, and I'll give you a few examples here, but if, I, if someone could prove to me with 100% certainty that they found the ark of Noah, it would not make me believe in God more uh, than I do right now. And I say that because someone thinks they found it. If I saw someone raised from the dead right in front of me, it would not make my faith. If I saw a mountain moved by some righteous person with just that mustard seed of faith, it would not make my faith. Because my faith does not come by what I see. My faith comes by in spite of what I see. My faith comes from the Spirit of Christ who indwells me, who lives in me, and strengthens that faith every day. Faith and love are essential to being a person of faith, to be a person who follows Christ. They're essential, faith and love are, to be a person, to being a person who walks in joy. The word for love here is agapeo, agapeo, which is in the present tense. It comes from agape. You've heard that word before, but this tense is agapeo. It comes in the present tense, indicating a continual and regular activity. The love here that these Asia Minor Christians had for Jesus was a continual and regular activity. Though we do not see him, we still love and believe in him because of the working of the Spirit of God and the promise to come. This is a regular, present activity that indicates a continual relationship, a walking, progressive relationship with Christ. It is a regular activity that goes, grows to a daily personal relationship built on worship, built on prayer, and built on the meditation and the understanding and the learning of the Holy Scriptures. And it is secured by the Spirit of God. As we presently know more of him, we love him. And as we love him, we walk with him by obeying him. The Bible, therefore, inseparably links love and faith with obedience to God. The Bible says, if you love me, keep my commandments. We trust him. We love him. And therefore, we follow him. So joy is inextricably connected to faith and love. And faith and love are inextricably connected to following the Lord. And through the Spirit, we have an ongoing present tense deliverance of our whole person. That is the outcome of our faith, as Peter says in verse 9. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Because Jesus has already come, our faith is realized. But because Jesus is yet to come, there is still part of our faith that is yet to be sight. But the reward of faith is a present comfort and a hope for things to come. 
Obtaining the salvation of our souls is a present activity with both present and future benefits. Obtaining literally means to win something that you deserve. Obtaining means to win something that you deserve or that's due to you. And while we can't earn or deserve our salvation, that is a work of God alone. Because of Christ, we deserve salvation. Do you see the difference there? We can't earn our salvation. It's by grace through faith in Christ. But because of Christ, God looks at us as in Christ and as deserved, uh, deserved of our salvation. Which is the result of our love, our faith, and our walking with God. So what does this mean for our daily life? It means that for you, Christian, joy is not just possible in the Christian life. Joy is inevitable as you grow in Christ. There may be seasons of downtime and seasons of sorrow. There may, be, there may be seasons where joy is harder to see. It's harder to comprehend. You may only see it in hindsight even at times. But joy is not just possible for the Christian. Joy is inevitable. It's not just a feeling. It's not just something that you get when things are going your way. Christian joy is connected to our love for Christ and our faith in Him. And our love and our faith is connected to the work of the Spirit and is ongoing in our life until Christ returns. And the Spirit leads us to obey and follow God. So we walk in the Word, we walk in prayer, we walk in worship because we are walking in faith and love. This is why these things are so important. This is why prayer, the Bible, uh, church gathering, gathering of the saints outside of the church, uh, meditation on the word, worship. These are why these things are so important. It's because they are an outflowing of a heart that is bursting forth from these things. If you find it hard to be motivated, to be a part of these things, to be involved in prayer, involved in church, involved in the Bible, if you find it hard to be involved in those things, you might want to check at least the maturity of your faith or the existence of your faith. Because the Bible says it very clearly, all of these things are an outpouring of the life that has been captured by love through, by the love of Christ through faith. So the Spirit ministers to us with joy in our faith and with love. I want to go to the next one. The Spirit, Spirit's ministry to us is to proclaim the gospel through the prophets. Look at verses 10 again. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves. Not only is the Spirit's ministry to, pro to proclaim the joy of our salvation, not only does the Spirit give us faith and love that we need to have that joy, but the Spirit also has the responsibility of showing us the thread of Christ that runs throughout all of time. Salvation by faith in Christ, friends, is not a new concept that happened at the birth of Jesus. Peter here is trying to make some things very clear for his first century audience, and I have a few things that I want you to see from that, from this ministry of the prophets through the Spirit. 
The first is this. The thread of Christ's redemption is sown into all history. The thread of Christ's redemption is sown into all history. Christianity was not something brand new for the early Christians to learn. Peter says that the prophets looked into the scriptures and they searched the times to find out when the Messiah was coming. And after they had done that, they found out that this Messiah had come and his name was uh, Jesus. They were deeply concerned with the time. They also searched for the person of the Messiah. But most of the prophets' teaching were concerned with the time. Now Peter is saying that what the prophets were searching for has come true through Jesus. For some of you this may be easy to follow, but for others it may be new. The Spirit of Christ has been working throughout all of history, pointing every follower of God to the time of Christ. I'll say it again so you don't miss it, because for some of, the, for some of you this might be new. The Spirit of Christ has been working throughout all of history. That's from the Garden of Eden on, pointing every follower of God to the time of Christ. And the important thing for us to note is that Christianity is the fulfillment of all that the prophets were searching for. He is what Adam was promised in Genesis 3.15. He is what Abraham looked towards with innumerable descendants. Christ is the source of strength for Jeremiah. He's the source of hope for Isaiah. He is the background for Solomon and all the joy that so, are the truth of joy that Solomon discussed in Ecclesiastes. From the major and minor prophets, Christ is the fulfillment for all of their working. Peter is trying to comfort the other early believers to understand that God is still one, that Jesus is not new or separate or distinct, but that he is God and he is the fulfillment of the plan of the Father. And that they, too, are a part now of this greater plan. There's another truth that Peter exclaims. The prophets searched and inquired for our benefit. Peter says in verse 12, It was revealed to them that they were not serving, they were serving not themselves, but you. The prophets and those leading up to Jesus were given some understanding by God that all of their searching was not strictly for themselves. Now this is a wild thought to understand, but when Isaiah was writing about the Lamb of God who takes away the world's sin, he was not writing for himself. He was writing so that when we hear John the Baptist say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, we can say, Jesus, Jesus, that is the Lamb. When Samuel promised an offspring to David whose kingdom would be forever, it wasn't for David, but it was for me and you so that we can know that the root of Jesse has, has produced a shoot that will last forever. When Micah wrote about Christ being born in Bethlehem, it wasn't for Micah. It was for us so that we can know when we saw, when we see the story of Christ and where he came from his origin. We can know it was one of the 300 plus prophecies that Christ fulfilled. When the psalmist wrote about the perfect sacrifice in Psalm 40, that was for us. The prophets studied, the prophets inquired and wrote so that we could know the one who they were talking about and when he would come. The prophets through the Spirit of Christ wrote to us, friends, about Jesus. 
They wrote to us about Jesus. They wrote to us about what was to come. They wrote to us about his death, burial, and resurrection, which would take away the sins of the world. You want to talk about something that should increase your faith? The message of Christ is not random. It didn't start in 0 AD, or however you want to put that. The message of Christ started in Eden. And if you look even further in 1 Peter 3, the message of Christ started before the foundation of the world. There's a third way that the Spirit worked through the prophets, and that's this. New Testament believers are equipped better than the prophets. Often we look at the, often we look at the narratives of the Old Testament and we think, man, wouldn't it be awesome just to hear God speak to us like he spoke to Elijah, like he spoke to those other people? If I had a connection with God like Abraham, like Elijah, like David, I would have a great faith. My faith would be much stronger. But something must be clearly understood that those men and women of the Old Testament were handicapped compared to what we have, compared to what we know. These prophets were worse off than we are because they could only look forward to Jesus. They could only look forward to the Messiah. And now we look back knowing what has been accomplished. Simply by the fact that Jesus has appeared on earth and done what he has said he is going to do gives us a greater footing than even the prophets. Those prophets were on a worse footing than we were as it pertains to faith. Because of our position in history, all the Old Testament figures would look at us with a longing and a wanting to have what we have. God does speak to us and has spoken to us. We do have the opportunity to walk with God daily. We don't go to the temple because God has placed the temple in our hearts. The benefits of the Messiah are not coming. They have come. And they are here with us today. And so we look at people like David, we look at Elijah and Elisha, we look at Abraham, we look at Isaiah, we look at all of these people who walked with God, who had these great visions, who, who saw miracles, and we say, man, if only. But the point is missed if that's the way we look at it. Because now we walk with Christ. Now the temple is in our hearts. Now the miracles that have been done through Christ live in us, and it's called salvation. Don't be envious of the Old Testament prophets, friends, because they don't have what you have. I'm not saying salvifically. They have salvation in, through Christ even. But they don't have what you have. We see in greater fullness, not in fullness, but in greater fullness than even the Old Testament prophets. And so we have more. They were literally leading up to what we know now. And they've given us so much to work off of. So how do we use this information? We must remember that the fact that the work of Christ is sown into all time and we draw strength from that. It should give you great strength to know that Christ is not some new concept. It's not something made up by first century crazy people. Okay, There were plenty of people claiming to be Messiah. Hundreds if not thousands of people claiming to be Messiah before Christ came and after Christ came. Who is the one that's stuck for 2,000 plus years? Right? 
Who is the one that fulfills prophecies? You know the odds of fulfilling one prophecy are, it's impossible. It's impossible. The odds of Jesus fulfilling one prophecy written hundreds of years before he came, it's impossible. But he fulfilled over 300 prophecies. If that doesn't strengthen your faith, nothing will. Let me get out the AED equipment really quickly and shock your heart back to life or back in rhythm. Because if that doesn't give you, get you excited, if that doesn't give you a strength in faith, then nothing will. So we take the fact that God has been sown, sowing Christ all throughout history and it let us, we let it strengthen our faith. We must faith. We must take the words of the prophets and draw and discern how they spoke about Jesus and draw from that great strength because of the accuracy of their message. We look at the prophets and we see Isaiah. We see all, we see all of these people who prophesied, Isaiah specifically because I think of Isaiah 53 and how he prophesied of the death of Jesus. We see all of these prophets and how they worked and we, we try to draw from them. What we try to do is then, when we see stories in the Old Testament, we don't try to look at ourselves and say, I wonder how I fit into this story. When we look at the Old Testament, we look at the Old Testament story and we say, how does Jesus fit in to this story? Friends, if you start reading the Old Testament because they were looking forward to Jesus, if you start reading the Old Testament with Jesus in mind, it will shake your world. We must take the indwelling of the Spirit of Christ and allow that to bring us indescribable peace and joy. There's one more quick truth, and I promise this one's quick. Not that it matters, because I, I go all day. The Spirit's ministry to us is to proclaim the gospel throughout the ages. Not only is the Spirit's ministry to us is to help us to grow in joy and faith. Not only is the Spirit's ministry to us to uh, use the prophets as a means of ministering to us. But the Spirit's ministry to us is to proclaim the gospel throughout the ages. Peter has already informed us that the Spirit of God spoke through the prophets. And now he informs us that the sp same Spirit spoke through the apostles. Look at verse 12 again. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that they have in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So he's saying the spirit of God spoke to the prophets, he spoke spoke through the prophets, that was for you, but also he sent the apostles and he sent the people, the preachers who proclaimed the gospel and that was for you. That same message that the prophets learned, that same message that the prophets sought out is now being proclaimed to the apostles, to the preachers, to the evangelists, to us. And it is for the spreading of the kingdom of God throughout the world until Christ comes. The Spirit of Christ has a ministry of not only speaking to the hearts of the dead and making them alive, but also to speak to those who now live and and cause them to proclaim his good news to the world. Our love and our faith has been given to us by the Spirit of God that we might be saved. But not just that we might be saved. So that through that outpouring of love and through that outpouring of faith, we might also be gospel proclaimers. The greatest way after salvation, I think the Spirit of God works in us is through sanctification. That is the process of becoming more like Jesus. The next greatest way I think that the Spirit of God works in us is to make us proclaimers 
of the message of God to a lost and dying world. I say, I've said this before, but some of you weren't in here, so I'll say it again. What other reason are you left on earth after you're saved? What other reason? If Christ saves you, the, the, the cool thing to do, if I were God, and I'm not, I would just like take everybody up to heaven. Like, you're saved, I'm just going to take you up. There's no point in staying around. You're good. We are left on this earth because we are left to be ministers of the great gospel that has saved us. And the Spirit of God, after He saves us, He works to sanctify us. And His third great work in us is to make us evangelists, is to make us preachers, is to cause us to preach the message of Christ to the world. We not only have a responsibility to proclaim this message, but I do believe I believe it overflows out of those who are walking in faith. I do believe it. It overflows in the way that you do things, in the way that you operate, in the way that you operate at your job, the way you work, the way you respond to people who are jerks, the way you respond to people who are terrible to you. It shows up in the way that you do hard things, in the way you raise your children, in the way you love people, in the way you don't love people. It shows up in the things you buy, in the things you, uh, in the in the in the type of aspirations you have, the house that you want, the cars that you want, and then it shows up in what you say. The Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I'm convinced. The reason I don't, the reason I don't bag on people for not sharing the gospel enough is because I'm convinced that a heart that is filled with joy, a heart that is filled with love, is a heart that is following after the Lord. A heart that is following after the Lord becomes so enriched and so engrossed with the love of God through Christ Jesus that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. And so again, I'm going to put this on you. If it's not something that you find yourself abundantly speaking of, whether it be in your lifestyle or in your mouth, that should be concerning for you. What comes out of your mouth the most? What is seen by your lifestyle the most? If someone today were to write five characteristics of who you were, would any of those be relative to being in Christ? good friend, nice person, honest, good worker, would those be because you're in Christ or would those be because of the way you're raised? Would any of them specifically relate to who you are in Christ? Loves the Lord, gospel witness. One day a story is going to be written about you. If not on this earth, it will be written about you in heaven when we meet the Lord. And we will all be judged for the works that we do on this earth. Now, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ, but we will all be judged for what we do on this earth. What content are we given today for that story? Friends, let the Spirit of Christ lead you. Let the Spirit of Christ lead you to have joy. Let the Spirit of Christ lead you to have love, to have peace 
in troubling times. Let the Spirit of God grant you faith. Let the Spirit of God make you a proclaimer of the Word. Let the Spirit of God help you to find confidence in our faith through what the prophets wrote. And if you are having trouble with any or all of these, ask the Spirit of God like David did. Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Will you pray with me today? God, you are so gracious and holy. There is none like you. Lord, oftentimes we allow our circumstances to dictate our feelings about you. We allow our circumstances to dictate our love towards you and towards others. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to be uh, guided by our circumstances. To be guided by the things that um, happen in our life or happen to us. But I pray that you would let us to be guided by joy that comes from what you've done and who you are. Lord, help us to trust Christ Jesus, to live for him, to follow him. Lord, renew our hearts and our minds every day. We love you. We praise you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.